Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the newest episode of the Scoring Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. That was a fun day. Um, Oregon won 42-6 to over the 19th-ranked Colorado Buffaloes. Um, there was a lot of storylines, a lot of really great play. Um, really impressive day from the defense. I'm going to dive into that, some of my biggest notes from the day, some of the biggest storylines from the day. Uh, a lot to get to. Let's get into it. Like I said up top, um, that was a man. Yeah, that was a that was a really fun day. Um, I think that a lot of Oregon fans who watched the game, I think college football fans in general, probably had a really really enjoyable time. At least watching the level of play. I know it wasn't the most competitive game, so a lot of um, you know a lot of college football fans that tuned in that didn't have a rooting interest might have been a bit perturbed a little bit and to not see a, you know, a game, a competitive game that, you know, was built between a number 19th ranked team, number 10th ranked team in Oregon. So um, I think that might have played a little bit into, I think fans might have been a little bit frustrated with that, but um, if you're an Oregon fan, I don't know what more you could have wanted from this game. To be completely honest, um, there was, uh, some really, really good offense, explosion plays, a lot of running. Bo Nix played great. And the defense, really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk more about the defense here in a little bit. That's one of my biggest takeaways from the, day, from the game. But the defense just looked fantastic. So, um, you know, my plan for this podcast, like we've done with the past uh, few post-game episodes, um, it's late. It's 11 o'clock right now. Um, as I record this, I'm watching USC, Arizona State just finish up. Um, you know, I'm going to go into some of my biggest takeaways from the game. Um, I'm not going to do a whole recap of the game because if you're listening to this, you, I'm sure you probably watched the game. You don't need me to, to run through it all, but, um, just, just some of my overall takeaways. Then we'll get out of here for a late night session to start. Um, I, this is rare. I, I don't usually do this, but to start, I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit. Um, it's, it's very rare that I feel like I have this, this good of a feel on a game. I, that I, I kind of know what's or know what I'm predicting, know what's going to happen, but I really feel like I was, I was on top of this one. Um, you know, it, I predicted 42 to 20 on ducks wire with six sacks. Um, I wasn't sure, you know, if you take Oregon minus 21, it was, you know, it was close for that number. But I really thought that, like, the over-under for 70, 71 points, I think it was definitely an under um, because of what happened. I thought that Oregon's defense was really going to prove something in this game. 
I think I thought that they were going to show, you know, we knew how bad Colorado's offensive line was. We knew that they were giving up five sacks per game, that they were ranked 128th in the nation. I really thought that Oregon's defensive line was going to show something here, and they did just that. They got seven sacks on the day. They were pressuring Shadur Sanders all day long. He he really just did not have that much time to throw, and he was flushed out of the pocket several times. So, um, you know, it's just it's it's one of those games where um, I wasn't too shocked to see how it played out because that's really what I thought was going to happen. So, um, you know, it's it's that does not always happen. There's been a lot of games where it's like I I have predictions for it. I think it's going to go some way, and then it completely goes the opposite way. Um, that's kind of how Texas Tech went. I I felt really confident going to that Texas Tech game, and then it you know playing on the road in Lubbock, it it didn't go how I thought it would. So. Um, I guess it's just I'm gonna gonna cherish this one a little bit because I felt like I really had this one going to this game and it's it's a lot of fun when it plays out how you expect it to. You know, when I woke up on Saturday morning, um, you could just kind of tell that this day was gonna be fun. You could tell that this was gonna be a good one. And when I I saw social media this morning, once I got on the computer, got to work, you saw the video of Colorado players who were taking their um, you know, their visits to the field yesterday when they got into town. And you saw one Colorado player, you know, standing on midfield and scuffing up the O uh, with his shoes. He was just kind of disrespecting the field. Um, that's that's when you kind of knew that this was just going to be a pretty entertaining game. And that's like a little bit of the fire that you saw um, light up in Oregon. And uh, from there, it's like, it, it just felt like it was on. That's what it needed to, to get this really going. There was already a ton of hype, but then, um, that just, that sparked everything off on Saturday morning. The buzz in the stadium pregame was electric. I think I tweeted this before the game. It was probably the best pregame, you know, hype and excitement that I felt in Austin since Fright Night back against USC. And I think that was, what year was that? 2009? Um, 2011? I forget what it was. I think it was 2009, but that Halloween night against, against USC, um, it was just, it was electric. There was so many, there was, you know, Terrell Owens was on the field. You had so many, um, there were several Portland trail trailblazers on the field, um, celebrities everywhere. You had Deion Sanders walking around the field pregame and fans booing and just, it was quite a scene fit with the parachutes bringing the game ball down that was just it was incredibly incredibly fun and it was just a a really cool scene in Oregon and a really cool buzz that I think was um, something we'll probably feel more of going forward I think that you know I was talking to Mike Jorgensen before the game and he was telling me he's like I'm a little bit I'm, I'm antsy for this game I'm I'm just excited it's like nervous is not the right word but just a little bit anxious because we knew that it was going to be such a big game so many eyeballs um so many ears listening for him that you know he was just just really excited for it and it's like this is you know we don't get these games every year the last game we got like this was UCLA last year which was number 9 against number 10 um but we were talking about that you know this is the first of three games that we'll have like this in Autzen this year. You think about USC, Oregon State, Washington State probably. We'll have this feeling against Washington in uh, two, three weeks. We'll have this feeling against um, against Utah a few weeks after that. I mean, this is just going to be, 
it's going to be a year where it just sets up like these type of environments for Oregon. A lot of very anxious and anticipated game days. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun looking forward to that. Let's jump right into some of my biggest takeaways. Um, the number one thing that I, I leave this game thinking is that Oregon's defense is really, really impressive. Um, you know, it's been been kind of tough to see so far this year just because of the level of competition. I mean, games against Portland State and Hawaii, you kind of have to throw out just the, you know, they're they're not playing on the same playing field as Oregon. They don't belong in that same conversation. So whatever Oregon does against them, you know, you got to take with a grain of salt because, yes, they're supposed to do that against Hawaii. They're supposed to do that against Portland State. The one game that Oregon does have against a respectable opponent, Texas Tech, they gave up 30 points and they needed a, a nine point fourth quarter comeback to, to win that game. So, um, you know, going into this game, we knew that it was going to be a major test for Oregon. Colorado's, Colorado has the number two passing offense, the number 15 scoring offense, uh, the number 20, I believe it's number 23 overall offense in the nation. We knew that if Oregon was going to win this game uh, in, you know, dominant fashion like a lot of people were hoping or expecting it was going to be on the back of the defense you know it was going to be on their ability to slow down Shador Sanders and stop that passing game and they absolutely did that Um, I already talked about it the defensive line was my big key to the game getting pressure on Sanders keeping him uncomfortable they did a great job of that they got seven sacks in total which tied the Oregon school record. Um, I think they got that against, I forget who it was against in 2013. I want to say it was Cal. Um, I would need to look that up and to, to get that right. But, you know, just a really, really impressive game all around. The secondary was really good. Kyrie Jackson, um, someone who I was really, really impressed with. Evan Williams, safety, had two sacks. Jordan Birch had two sacks. Just a really impressive game all around from the defense. So um, I leave this game, you know, I mean, we've said before that I have no concern about Oregon's offense. You know, they're going to be able to put up points throughout the season. I don't worry about Bo Nix's ability to score with anyone. What I was always worried about because of what we saw last year is Oregon's ability to stop anyone. And so far, you know, through three games, I think we felt decent about it from what we saw. But again, poor competition in that. Through four games, I feel really good about that. Um, You know, I I look at some of the best offenses in the Pac-12 Washington's, your USC's, I guess Washington State, you now to throw in that conversation. Um, it's still a little bit of a question because those teams, I think, ultimately are better than Colorado. They've got better offensive line play. They won't let seven sacks happen. But I feel good that Oregon can at least, you know, get a few key stops down the road. Um, you know, Oregon's offense is going to be good enough to score points right alongside those guys. But I think the defense is actually good enough to get some stops, and this defense can get you some wins down the road. Um, so I think that was probably my biggest takeaway from the day is that, um, you know, there's there were so many questions about Oregon's defense coming into this game. I feel good about it. I They've answered a lot of those questions so far. I want to see them against better competition. We'll see that as the, as the season goes on, and notably in a couple weeks against Washington. But, um, you know, so far so good. I've been really impressed with this unit. One of my other takeaways on the day, um, I just want to talk about Troy Franklin and Bo Nix. Um, starting with Franklin, 
I think that, I mean, there's been some people that have been on this. Um, I think that Troy Franklin is probably the best wide receiver that Oregon's ever had. Um, I don't know if we can definitively say that yet. I know guys like Keenan Howery, Sammy Parker, Jeff Mayle. There's a ton of guys in that conversation, but man, what Franklin does game in and game out, uh, what he did last year, what he's doing already this year, it's just so impressive, man. I mean, this is a this is a surefire NFL player, um, a potential Blitnikoff Award finalist, um, award winner. We'll see. Um, it's just I'm so impressed with the ease that he does things with and the connection that he has with Bo Nix. Uh, Franklin had eight catches for 126 yards, two touchdowns today. That gives him his third game this season of 100 yards or more. He has five touchdowns on the season. He's just really impressive, man. And he's got that, like I said, that connection with Bo Nix is just just really, really solid. It's unlike anything we've seen in Eugene in recent memory. I mean, Justin Herbert and Dylan Mitchell had a really good connection. Um, but there's just – Eugene has not been a, a spot for wide receivers to come and thrive over the years. And so it's been really nice to see Franklin step up. And I think that he's – had you know he had a great year last year and he's just gotten only better this year. So um, I've been really impressed with him. I looked, I really loved what I saw from Nick's today. Um, he had five total incompletions on the day, two hundred and seventy six yards, four total touchdowns, uh, three passing, one rushing. You know, I talked before the game. I talked this past week at least about this was going to be an elevated stage for Nick's and a, a place where he could come in. He's going to have the eyeballs of the nation. Um, we don't yet have a TV rating for this game. That'll probably come out tomorrow, but uh, I would guess it was north of that 9 million number that Colorado got against Colorado State last week. I, I'm guessing it's 10 million plus. Um, this was a huge, hugely televised game on ABC noon window. So the stage was set for Knicks to, you know, do something special and kind of catapult himself up those Heisman rankings. He didn't quite do as much as I thought he would with the, um, you know, with the opportunity. But that's because this game was not close at all. It was thirty-five nothing in halftime. Oregon, you know, put on another touchdown in the second half. But um, you know, Nix was out by the fourth quarter, and Ty Thompson was playing. So um, I don't blame him. You know, you can't hold it against him that, oh, he only had 276 yards and four touchdowns with five incompletions. That's an incredible day. Um, but, you know, it's 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 impressive to see because this is – what's impressive about it is that it's, this was expected. You know, this is that's a stat line that most quarterbacks would dream about having. And Nix is just – Doing it ho hum another Saturday. He he had another two hundred seventy five yards, another four touchdowns with a uh, you know seventy five eighty percent completion percentage. Just yeah, whatever um, you know. But that's that's who he is now. That's what he's where he's at in this stage of his career. Which um, you know, like I said earlier in the podcast, I've got zero worries about Oregon's offense because of Nick's because he's able to do things like that today and just make it seem very average and mundane. One of the uh, one of the downsides today, I guess. Well, there's there's a couple downsides I'll get to. One of them has got to be the penalties. Um, you know, this is the third straight week where we're ending an Oregon game talking about penalties. They again had nine penalties for 80 yards today. 
that's right along with their season averages, which, you know, their season average is way, way too high. Um, averaging, I think it was about 77 yards per game uh, for penalties, which ranks 114th in the nation right now out of 133 teams. So, um, you know, that needs to get much better. It obviously did not matter too much today against Colorado. It also helped that Colorado had uh, 12 penalties for 106 yards, I believe. Uh, but, you know, later in the season, in two weeks from now against Washington, or three weeks from now, sorry, against Washington, um, you know, these these games where it's Ducks are in a one-possession game late, it's those penalties, it's going to be those penalty yards where that actually hurts you. Um, so that's, you know, at this point, you can't say anything more. You just, you got to prove it. You got you to gotta do something with your actions rather than your words. Landon can say all he wants. He said something again after today that, you know, they're going to keep coaching it up. They're going to keep trying to get better at it. Okay. Let's, let's see it on the field. Um, you know, and I'm not, I'm not frustrated with him. I'm sure he's more frustrated than I am about all of that. And with his team's performance, when it comes to penalties, um, there were some, some iffy calls today. Um, I know there were a couple of roughing the passer calls that I definitely don't agree with. There was a delay game call where he says that he thinks there was still time on the clock when the penalty was thrown. So, you know, there's, of course, there's there's nitpicks here and there. But regardless, even if you take away those, you know, six penalties for 60 yards, that's still still on the high end of what you want. Um, you know, you'd, you'd rather have a game with three or four penalties for less than 50 yards. So... Um, going forward, that's still something that really needs to get better. Another downside for Oregon, um, it appears that Noah Whittington, the running back, um, got pretty severely injured. It's tough to say how severe it is. Um, he was carted from the sideline to the locker room in the second half. I believe that was the third quarter. Was not wearing a shoe or a sock on his left foot when that happened. Um Dan Lanning, who, you know, notoriously does not ever say anything about injuries. He said after the game that, you know, I I want everyone to pray for Noah because it looks like he's gonna be down for a bit. Um, those are his words. He said that he's he's fine, he's okay, but it looks like they're not gonna have him for a few weeks, which you know, Lanning when Lanning says a few weeks, that leads me to to believe it could be a month or two. Um I don't think that he I think he might be playing that down a little bit. Who knows? We'll see. Hopefully he's back. I mean, by the Washington game. Awesome. Uh, you know, as you get later into the USC game, Utah game, Oregon State game, that's when you really need him. But um, that's a tough loss. Uh, you know, Noah's been having a really good season. He's part of that, you know, three-headed rushing attack that's been very, very good for the Ducks so far this year. So losing him hurts. But, you know, I was talking to some of the other beat reporters after the game. As bad as this sounds, I don't want to take anything away from Noah. He's a, a really good player. But if you're going to suffer an injury at one position for Oregon, that's kind of a position where you can afford to to get an injury at. Um, I say that just because, you know, this is a good point in that there's never a good time for injuries. But this is a point in the season where you can withstand it. You know, you've got Stanford this week, which is a glorified bye week. Um, I know Oregon has had bad memories down there in Palo Alto. Um, 
But I think that if Oregon is focused, they can win that game by as much as they want to win that game by. Stanford is the worst team in the Pac-12. The Ducks should not have a problem with them in reality. And then after that, you've got the bye week before going up to Washington. So, one, this is the time of the year where it's okay if you're missing one of your starters. You could still probably get by and, and be okay. And then two, you know, that running back position is very deep for the Ducks. Um, you know, Bucky Irving, Jordan James, two incredible players. Whittington was a, a great trio there. I don't think you'd feel too confident here with Jaden Lamar or Dante Dowdell to kind of give them a share of that workload. But if you've got Irving and you've got James kind of leading the way there with that, you know, a two-hearted charge now, I think you still feel really good. That's probably one of the best running back duos in the era, in the conference, possibly the nation too. Um, so, you know, we're, we're thinking good thoughts for Noah. We're hoping things turn around and that he can get back on the field soon. But uh, right now it looks like we're going to be without him for the next few weeks, probably maybe a little bit longer. All right. I want to hit on a couple of, you know, bigger takeaways just before wrapping this thing up. Um, First, real quick, I just want to give credit to to Coach Prime, uh, Deion Sanders, and Colorado, their team. I've really gained a good amount of respect for them throughout this past week, um, you know, looking at them a little bit closer, covering them a little bit closer than I had all year. Um, they're, that's a stand-up organization. I've, I'm just, I've been, become more of a fan of, of Deion Sanders over this past week. I think he's a really good coach. Um, I think he's a really good mentor for these kids, too. He says the right things. He doesn't make excuses. He really seems like a stand-up guy. Um, you know, after the game, there was a chance that um, he could come out and, and you know, he just got embarrassed on national television when, you know, a lot of people thought that he was going to win, and this was their first loss of the year. He could have said a lot of things, but he owned it. He said, you know, that was a – he called it a good old-fashioned butt-kicking and says, you know, we did not play well enough. They played great. I've got no excuses. Um, I've just been a fan of the way that he's handling things, that the hype is is not easy to deal with. He's, of course, dealt with it pretty much his entire life. Um, but, you know, what I've, I've seen that a lot of Oregon fans and a lot of just college football fans in general have grown very annoyed with the Colorado story and the hype surrounding this whole program. But, you know, I don't think that has much to do with the actual program. I think that comes from the national media and their treatment of the program, if that makes any sense. I think that, you know, I've, I've found myself being annoyed with it, too, that anytime you turn on SportsCenter or ESPN or Fox, they're talking about Dion and they're talking about Coach Prime and Shadur and Travis Hunter. I understand. I've, I've said, about, said this a million times. I've talked about it before that. You know, it's it's an encapsulating story. It's it's not a surprise that they're talking about it because you know it's it's entertaining. It draws eyeballs, but um, you know, I I don't think that that annoyance should be at Dion. They're not doing anything wrong. They're just you know he's he's a marketer. He's a self promoter. That's fine. He's good at it. He should be. Um, I've got no problems with what he's saying or the way he's saying things, um, and that goes for his players as well. Um, I, I just think that, you know, I guess long story short, I've just, I've been really impressed by what I saw from him. Um, I think he's a stand-up guy. I love what he's doing. I think it's great for college football. Um, I, you know, this is one of those, I'll say it again, everyone's saying it, it's tough, tough time for the Pac-12 to be dissolving because another year next year with Dion in the Pac-12, 
Um, this could be a really fun rivalry between Dan Lanning and Deion Sanders between Oregon and Colorado. Um, it's too bad that we probably won't get this game very much at all, if ever again in the future. Um, but it's been been pretty fun to watch, and I'm sure it'd be a really good recruiting battle in the future as well. But um, overall, long story short, Dion, you've got another fan in me. I've been I've been really impressed with what you're doing so far. Last one here, and it's I've I've talked about this a little bit already. Um, I just want to stress it again. Oregon's defense has impressed me to the point where I'm. I don't know that I'm willing to say I've upped my level of expectations for the Ducks this year. I mean, my expectations were already pretty high. I expected them to be playing for a conference title game with a chance to, you know, get into the college football player playoff, excuse me. But, you know, that this is just solidified it so far. It felt like coming into, you know, this game, the past couple of games coming into the season, that that was a hope, you know, that Oregon would play for a Pac-12 title game that they'd potentially get into the playoff. It felt like that was, uh, yeah, we'll see if everything goes right. That could happen. I'm starting to expect that now. I've seen that with this offense, they can be great with the defense playing like it did today. If that can stay consistent, if they can be a good defensive team against these top Pac-12 teams, I, you know, I really expect them to be in Vegas in December. And if they win that game, I would not at all be surprised if they can get into the playoff. I can see this being a playoff team. Um, you know, I they've got the pass rush. They've got really good players in the secondary. Kyrie Jackson just looks like he belongs on a higher level. Evan Williams looks like he should be playing at a higher level. I mean, he's he's fit for that stage. Um, you know, Jordan Birch is a, a future NFL pass rusher. Brandon Dorless, same thing, future NFL pass rusher. Um, I'm just I'm impressed by with what I've seen from this team. Um, I just I really think I can see them at the end of the year. I I feel really confident saying that now after these four games. After seeing them play, I know Colorado not the best competition. We'll say that against about every team that Oregon plays until they play Washington, until they play USC. I've just been impressed. Um, I, I really think this team has what it takes to get there in December and potentially go a little bit further and play in January. All right, that's going to do it for me tonight. Um, I will have another episode come out later this week. I'm not sure what day yet, but uh, Oregon goes to Stanford next week. Um, so they've got a, a very, very, very winnable game next week, a bye week after that, and then they will travel up to Seattle to play Washington in week seven. So um, a couple of, I guess you could say, down weeks, try and get your blood pressure down, relax a little bit, enjoy this, because then Oregon goes on a run where I think it's they play Washington, have Washington State at home, and then I think they go to Utah. So there's a three-week stretch there in October where it's going to get – very, very tough, and uh, there's going to be a lot of um, pre- high pressure games and a lot of a lot of anxiety meds and blood blood pressure medications taken among Duck fans. So uh, just just be prepared for that. Uh, thank you guys for listening and following along. If you want to check out more of my work, you can find it all at DucksWire.USAToday.com. Follow me at Zachary C Neal on Twitter. I will talk to you guys later this week. Until then, take it easy.